BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Hi, everybody. Where's our harmony? Thank you for coming out to this first Tuesdays. Hi. Hi in the back. Hello. (laughs) Uh, We are so excited to be back at the promontory and back with you guys after our little hiatus. Um, and tonight's show, we've got two amazing guests. We've got 20th Ward Alderman Jeanette Taylor and 49th Ward Alderman Maria Haddon, my alderman, uh, alderperson, I'm sorry, alder officially alderperson, alderwoman. Alderwoman, yeah. Alderwoman, you guys are cool with that. Okay. So uh, the we wanted to devote today's show to a discussion about the... What's happening with the reorganization of Chicago City Council and what we can expect in the next four years uh, under this new mayoral administration. Um, But we're not going to start the show assuming you all know exactly what's happening with the reorganization of City Council. So I thought uh, we thought it would be a good idea first to just lay out some background, and Ben, maybe you can start us off and just explain to folks the basics of what's happened in the last couple of months. Okay, very good. So, the 101 of this is this. Traditionally, at least uh, since, uh, well, let's just, since Mayor Daley, Baby Daley, uh, was elected mayor in uh, 1989, the uh, Chicago City Council was sort of like uh, an extension of the mayor's office. And the mayor of the city of Chicago would appoint the chairs uh, and would determine who would be on what committee, complete control of the Chicago City Council, so that aldermen had to be loyal to the mayor in order to get a council chair. Uh, Why is that important? Good question. Thank you for asking. Uh, Because uh, if you control a chair or a, a... a council. If you're the chair of a council, then you have some patronage, people who work directly for you, so you can hire some people, which is always good. But you uh, also control the flow of legislation, or even say in the flow of legislation. You get to have meetings uh, and uh, determine who witnesses are. You can shape legislation, potentially. But if the mayor controls 
the chairs, then the mayor controls the flow of legislation, the language that's in the legislation, which legislation goes to a council uh, for a vote, which legislation gets buried in the rules committee, which never uh, then comes out for a vote. So controlling who the chairs of the councils are is a very important, uh, powerful uh, uh, asset for the mayor. And uh, in your lifetime, most of you are, are younger in this room, I think, few exceptions, myself included, uh, that uh, that is why no significant piece of legislation uh, during the Daly and Rahm years emerged from the city council because the mayor would use his power to bottle it up. So we all agree with that. Um, in the, the tail end, this continued with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, at the tail end of the Lightfoot era, or tenure, one-term tenure, there became a movement in the city council, Matt Martin, shout out to you, uh, uh, alderman of the 47th Ward, to have the aldermen select on their own the chairs. And uh, Matt Martin did that in part because uh, he wanted to be the chair of the ethics committee. Yes, there is an ethics committee in the city of Chicago. Don't really understand why, but uh, just <laughs> particularly in the light of the Madigan trial today. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, and um, uh, in moving, taking that one step further, at the last meeting in March, I think it was. April. No. Uh, oh, we did it in March, but yeah, the last meeting was yes. in April. The, the uh, last meeting in March, the Chicago City Council did something it had not done uh, in my time here in the city of Chicago. They organized themselves, not just like a, uh, like a, this faction in the council and that faction, but actually Brandon Johnson supporters, Paul Vallis supporters, uh, got together and agreed on uh, new chairs for the committees. Uh, and they did this independently of Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and more importantly, they did it independently of either Paul Vallis or Brandon Johnson. Uh, and so there, again, some people, like the two on stage, supported Brandon Johnson, other people, uh, supported Paul Vallis, who were part of the council reorganization. There was a vote. Uh, it was uh, some great uh, debate. Uh, one person on the stage voted yes. The other person voted no. I'll not you tell you. You have to guess. You have to guess which one. Yeah, you have to guess which one. Uh, the <laughs> well, so yeah. So, this so there is, you. This, so that's the situation. Is the kind of, this is the the stage setting that we're working with. And one and last point. It's only a symbolic vote because they have to redo the whole thing in May because they, uh, when the new council is seated, the new council has to approve the chairs. So there's a chance that everything they did at that March meeting will be reversed uh, in May. So that is pretty much the background you need to know. So I'd love to hear from both of you why you had the position you did on the city council reorganization. Um, uh, Maria, let's start with you. You voted for this. Like, why? Is did that you what you guys guessed? Yeah. <laughs> why did you think this was a good idea? Why? Why did you think it was a good idea to do this now? I thought that it was our only opportunity to potentially have a council-decided organization, and that's with a bunch of flaws in the process. So I think Ben gave a, a great overview. I'll say 
we all always have kind of different motives and agendas, right? We have constituents we represent, caucuses that we're part of, personal ambitions, um, personal beliefs. And so it can be difficult working in a legislative body to um, trust people because not everybody discloses like all their reasons for doing things. Um, and so you're always questioning. So I'd say even the way this started wasn't necessarily something that either of us was involved in. How did it start? It, it started with a, a group of, of a few people who had been uh, Lori Lightfoot supporters, right? Like they'd either been Lori supporters or some people that weren't supporting anyone. And after the February election, that's when, at least I think through uh, one of our caucus groups, we started learning that, oh, some people had been meeting. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay, who were the some people? It took several weeks to figure out who all the some people were. Um, and then through a little, a little elbowing, a few of the kind of younger progressives um, were able to make some space at the table. So given even the way this started, which is independence, but ind independence maybe for self-preservation, right? Because not, their person was not going to yeah, be the mayor either way. Not necessarily independence because they believe in an independent city council, because all of these are senior people who never stood up for any of the efforts that we've made <laughs> over, over our first term for an independent city council. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong, people do change, but questionably, I don't know that I thought that was their primary motivation. But even though somebody else's motivations could be different, um, getting to work through the process, um, think about from the, from the media standpoint, you're getting to see some documents on like committees that people want to be on, committees that people want to serve on, and that's never happened before. So sometimes there are, there are still benefits, I think, to the public, benefits to um, efforts for independence or transparency or good government that we can get out of processes even when they start a little bit different. Um, and that's why I voted to support it because I did appreciate the effort that it became. And one of the key factors um, for me was before the April 4th runoff, this was the only um, authentic time to trust how people were gonna vote, right? After we know who the mayor's gonna be, people are going to pick their sides. Um, people who had already picked a side would be aligned in a different way. And it was really the last opportunity to, on kind of a more even playing field, especially in what was predicted to be a very close election and was um, a little bit more of an honest brokering situation amongst a legislative body without the power, influence, and sway of a mayor. Some of the critics of this whole reorganization said that the votes were whipped up by creating new committees and giving folks chairs of those committees to get the votes to pass this whole measure. Did you getting a chairmanship, chairwomanship of the, of the environment, uh, the, what's the full name, the energy? Uh, environment and Energy. En environment and Energy Committee. Did that have any sway on your support of this as an idea? Of course it did, right? Like, of course it did. I really wanted to chair that committee, right? Like, of course it did. And also, I'll tell you, in some negotiations, right, with representation from the Black Caucus, the Latino Caucus, the Progressive Caucus, um, uncaucused folks, um, I was willing to give up that chairmanship, right, through different configurations. And hey, maybe I'm a vice chair somewhere. 
Um, so personally, um, I like um, some of the council independence measures. I like the creation of some process. And then I would also argue you had people who are assigned as chairs who didn't support it, and you have people who weren't assigned as chairs who did support it. So I don't think it plays into the full motivations or as like the top thing um, for most people's decision making. Mm -hmm. And Jeanette, so you also came out of this process with a committee chair of youth services. They could have But you did not support this whole idea. Explain to us why. And why even a chair did not buy your vote. So for me, it was about being transparent. We were still in the runoff. There were still 11 seats out. And so to me, it wasn't fair to the people who were actually in the runoff, even though we were asking. So I'll use Tyler Farrow as the example. He was in a runoff. And so he wasn't really paying attention to this group of people meeting and us having meetings. And he wasn't on a lot of those meetings. But he was in a runoff. And so it wasn't fair for him not to give his say or even be a part of those conversations. So I just didn't feel like it was fair. Was this the right thing to do? Yes. The timing was wrong for me. And so I'm not going to go against my moral compass when it comes to things. And I felt like we should have waited. But also looking at the motives. Like people wanted to be chairs. And for me, I'm, I'm the chair of youth. Like I'm, I'm not young. 40 is not the new 20. You, my knees hurt. Like it's cold as hell in here. Like I, I'm is, not a young person. And I would have gave it up. So we have three council members that are 31. Um, Angela Clay, Ronnie Mosley, and Will Hall. I would give it up to Angela because I know Angela. I knew Angela since she was in high school. Um, as a freshman, I wouldn't want to be a chair because you're, fig you're, getting your, you're figuring out um, this process. But she would be the person that I would want to see in that seat because she is a young person. And so for me, this was about being fair to my coworkers. I was in a runoff my first term. And so I know what that feels like to be fighting for a seat. But then you still expect me to cooperate with everything that was going on. And so I felt like this was the right process, just the wrong time. And I feel like we, I feel like some people made those deals because they didn't know who was going to be on the fifth floor. And so what I will say is for both candidates, they both agreed in our caucus meeting. So I'm part of the Black Caucus. I'm part of the Progressive Caucus. And we got a women's caucus. We just we, don't we really. We do. But we just don't really. We meet. don't really mean. Yeah. So, and so I, I, I had some, some. I had some support, but to me it wasn't about that. It was about being fair to the other coworkers that were there. And so for me, um, voting no was the right thing to do, and I still don't change because now we're still got some influx fighting. Like there are still people saying, you know, when you look at some of the committee chairs, and I don't know if you've seen it, you got people like Anthony Beal who has seniority, he has no committee. That's that's not fair. That I don't feel like that's right. I think we got to have more conversations, but I also know you got to come to the table too. And so I don't want to paint this picture of people just got cut out. People have to come to the table. And a lot of times, y'all not going to believe it, but it's a bunch of egos and stuff that goes <laughs> along with this. I know. Wow. Hard to believe. And so a lot of that kind of played into this process. But this was the first time I was on the outskirts of, of my coworkers, like my real co. Like Maria is one of my friends. Like they're Rosanna. I was on outside of all of them. And... I didn't feel bad about it because I know in my heart to heart it's right. 
We could have waited. It was no problem with waiting because we're still trying to figure it out. We're still going back and forth about committee chairs, vice chairs, meeting. Y'all know we bad at meetings. We don't have no eating meetings. We have meetings at the site. We do a lot of shit that we should not be meeting doing. Meetings that start at 8 p.m. Like, oh, can everyone <laughs> Absolutely. You know, somebody meet at 8? Or 9 o'clock. Now, you know darn well nobody's going to be. We ain't here for 10 o'clock for the city council meeting, but you think we're going to be at a committee meeting at 9 o'clock? Good luck with that. Yeah. And so us having some real conversations about how we fix it and how do we make it community friendly? Because now it's just, it just caters to us. Yeah. Tell me how many working people have been at a city council meeting. That's what I thought. Yeah. Absolutely, because they don't want you uh, Correction, if it's not your job. Absolutely, yeah. so you can put your hand down like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. City Hall is about the people. This is a building that you all pay for. We work for you all. And when we understand that, we move in that way. And it's just, we wasn't ready. And, so, and we still got a bunch of more work to do. We was on the call last night to... 10 o'clock, like, I'm supposed to be asleep. I, I get, then lost all my little energy, and y'all want to talk, but yeah, so for me, this was, and I was, I, you know, when you, you make votes, you, you got to think about it, because not only what you voting for affects you, it affects your community, and so I had to explain to my community, because my community was like, this is a good thing. I'm not saying it's not, it's the wrong time, and that's what my no vote was about. So, um, as I understand it, sort of the, the people who did the initial meetings, uh, Jason Irvin, Michelle Harris, uh, Scott Wagesback, those are the three that come to mind. Uh, and you're right, they're all Lori Lightfoot supporters. Uh, and you're right, well you didn't say this, I'll say it. Uh, they got uh, prominent chairs because they were Lori Lightfoot supporters. So here's the irony of it. They were in a position of power in the city council because of their allegiance to the mayor, the old way of doing things. And now the mayor had lost, don't forget, this is after the first round. So now suddenly they see the new light, no pun intended, and uh, they're gonna do things a new way and they're gonna become advocates of city council independence uh, and they're going to do, <laughs> do that by, you know, I don't want to say the word conspiring among themselves, yeah, but well, working with themselves uh, and then stitching a deal where they get some of the things that they want and then bring on enough aldermen, giving enough goodies so they get what they want, which I applaud. It's a legislative process. I'm not hating on it, Maria. I'm just saying, you know, that's what they did. Um, so that leads us to where we are today. And uh, Scott Wagesback, who was the finance chair under Lori and would be the finance chair under this new configuration, came at mayor-elect Brandon Johnson kind of hard in the Sun-Times. I don't know if you saw that. Had some quotes in there about don't mess with the committee structure. You know, this, this, we, this is not a good time to play. It <laughs> like, happened. It was last uh, Friday before last. Yeah. Yeah, he, he put it out there. Uh, I was like, mm, I, I. <laughs> we grow balls, don't we? At yeah. Different times. <laughs> so that's my question. That's a prize of all prizes, the finance chair. Why, why? Explain to folks why the finance committee is the prize of all prizes. Well, and, and then I'll argue with you about why it really isn't anymore. Okay, fine. I want to hear the argument. Traditionally, uh, it's the body where every single co uh, contract, TIF deal, and budget goes through. So. Uh, in the old days, Ed Burke was the chair of it. He had a property tax appeal business. So anybody who was looking for any kind of goody uh, before the city council, there was a chance that Ed Burke would approach him to solicit uh, 
for, on behalf of his property tax business. Years, years ago in the 70s, there a guy named Tom Keene, uh, an equally corrupt uh, politician uh, who uh, used that position of power to get really wealthy, that position. So it has great uh, prominence because it's where, it's the committee that has to meet because it's where all the contracts are approved and all the TIF deals are approved and all the budget is approved. So that's why it's very powerful uh, a body in the Chicago and, city and the Council. settlements and the lawsuits that the city settles or loses if there's a, if there's you know judgments in favor of plaintiffs who sue the city it also has to go through finance yeah so uh, Scott clearly wanted to hold on to that I think he jeopardized uh, his chances perhaps by going so strong after uh, a mayor like Brandon but uh, Maria pushed back why don't you think it's as powerful as it used to be go ahead it's, um, I think, as prominent and is, an import and is important, right? And I actually think uh, Alderman Wagaspak has done a great job with the Finance Committee. Um, and also, we're thinking about the most previous Finance Committee chair being Alderman Ed Burke. And so all those things you said were true. And just for more background, budget and finance used to be together a long time ago. Um, and then budget and finance were split. So now we do like appropriations and budget in one committee and then like the finance piece in another. So both are really important committees. Um, they have to meet. They're also committees that have 35 members. Um, most other city council committees have like, you know, maybe a dozen of us or so. So they're important committees and it's important work. I think a lot of our great ethics reforms actually um, have led to it not being as powerful in that traditional way because it's not a place for patronage jobs, right? It's not a place for graft. And I think as chairman of that committee, um, I'd argue Wagaspak has been a good choice because he's someone with a really good upstanding like ethical practices and record. And, and I think it was a good choice for shepherding the finance committee, let's say, into a new age of where Chicago City Council needs to be. But it doesn't hold the same um, cachet and, and neither does he in, in city council, right, in the same way that Burke did. So those attachments, um, they don't mean as much, and that goes for almost all the committees at this point, right? It's changed. Uh, so do you think uh, Scott Wagerspeck should remain as chair of the Finance Committee? I, I think that there's absolutely a configuration where he could remain the finance chair, and that could be great, right? He's done a good job, and also, I was a little surprised and kind of taken aback by that, the statements in the interview that he did in the Sun-Times, because one of the factors that is, has kind of cropped up, and it's those underlying kind of motives and feelings, is whereas prior city councils and mayors have had so much power concentrated in the mayors, I think one of the things that we're seeing is um, we want an independent city council, but I think what you're seeing is really the locus of power shifting to external forces, lobbyists, and right now the positioning is a bunch of folks who are terrified of what having a really progressive mayor looks like. They're so scared, you guys. What's gonna happen with a progressive mayor? And so you see people lining up in opposition, and that is concerning to me. And right, so like that kind of posturing, like why aren't you if you want council independence, you should be working with your colleagues to build those alliances and work on getting that chairmanship. You should be talking to the mayor, now who you know the mayor is. Even if you don't think the mayor should make the final decisions, Chicago needs a city council that works with the mayor 
in order to actually make things happen and solve our issues, we don't need any of this posturing. And it's very concerning to me to see, um, as a progressive, to see someone who claims to be a progressive standing up and, and, and puffing out their chest, right? As, as if, you know, it, yeah, it's weird and not productive for what we need the city to do. Jeanette, you have any thoughts on this? <laughs> Where do we start? <laughs> So I don't have an issue with Scott Wagaspak being the chair. I think he's something totally different, but he is not a coworker that I worked a lot with. And so, and I've worked a lot with Pat because I've known her. We're in the same board. And so I want to see Scott be more in tune with his coworkers. That's, and you're that's bringing what I up see. Pat Dowell because she's shown an interest in- She's the budget chair, absolutely. Yeah. So she's the budget chair. So I'll talk a little bit more to her than I do to him. Um, I've, I've had some things that I've, not wanted to pass in his committee, but I would have liked for him to be more personable. He's not as personable as, as I would like him to be. But other than that, I felt like he's done 200 times better than what we had. There is a difference. We get a lot more information. A lot of things are shared with us. We have more meeting about the meeting than y'all could imagine. Like, if we meet about the meeting anymore, I'm be looking for that, the mega million numbers of that rich husband I be talking about. But we do have a lot of meetings. We do talk. We go through those briefings. We do a lot that you all don't get to see. And what I will say is, um, before COVID, that it last, the, the Life Administration did talk. We talked. We changed a lot of things. We did a lot of good work together, I felt like, before she got them powers and lost her damn mind. But that's a different segment. Um, but I, I feel like Scott will do us some justice. But I want to see what my other coworkers say. It's, it's 50 of us. We all should get a say. Everybody should get to decide. And I feel like that's what's fair. To say that I was the finance this chair this time and I get to be it again, I don't like that. Because that, that to me goes back to the Burke thing. You pumping up your chest. Y'all know Burke has been in office longer than I've been alive. Wow. <laughs> like, y'all hear that? Yeah. Like, problematic as hell and so it's hard to feel that change up front because I didn't feel it at first I'm like it's gonna be the same stuff and so to see him do some of the things he's different and he's called me on things that have come up in my ward and I appreciate that before that was not what was happening it was this gonna be on there you need to be on that call and if you don't object or you ain't got your votes together it's getting passed whether you like it or not he is not that person and I appreciate that well, before I move on, has Pat Dow, who again, Alderman Pat Dow, Third Ward, who is the budget chair, supported Brandon Johnson? Let me just put that down. She supported Brandon even before the runoff. Has she indicated to either one of you that she would like to be the finance chair? No, she no. hasn't. No. She hasn't said anything. We don't. Mm -mm. And I think we're all concentrating on where we're going to be because remember, this is 28 committees. Now, let me just say, there has been 28 committees before. That is on public record. It has been that many. Um, committees before. It's about us being responsible with your time and ours. That's my concern. And so once we get those kind of things together, I feel like we this this conversation will be a whole lot better and we'll be able to, because the, the, the thing about it is we got to gain the trust of you all. You all are voters. You all are the people who are spending your, and thank you for spending your money and paying your taxes. But we got to make sure that it's in a space where you all feel like you're into it. Because when I first got to City Hall, I feel like a stranger there. And it's because I had been banned from City Hall. <laughs> for being a troublemaker. And kicked out all yeah. the time. So, uh, so I want to follow up on something that uh, Maria was getting at and get both of your thoughts on this. Maya and I were talking about this uh, before we did the show. Uh, and it was like the treatment of 
this new administration, uh, Maria, I really haven't seen anything like this since the Herald. And there's an underlying assumption, I make light of it, but it's really not a joke. There's an underlying assumption that, how do I frame this? That if you put a lefty in charge, or progressive, I call them lefties, but you guys call yourself progressives, uh, in charge, they won't know how to turn, to put the light on. And if it's a black person, of any ideological persuasion, but particularly of a lefty person, uh-oh, look out. Look at, and then that first weekend when uh, there was mayhem in the loop, that's what happens when you elect Brandon John. The guy wasn't even the mayor yet. <laughs> and, and, and it's like, like Scott doing that was kind of feeding into that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you need someone who knows there, how to do things. There is a history of it. So um, uh, due to a good friend's Twitter recommendation, um, I got to read Fire on the Prairie, right? So kind of about Harold Washington time to the Obama presidency. And being in council and being in politics over these last four or five years, um, everyone all it's like Chicagoans' like second favorite pastime in politics to reference Mayor Washington, right? Mm. This is just like Harold Washington. This is, and I live in the 49th Ward, where half the people involved in politics who are like over 60, like worked on Harold Washington's campaign. Like they, I get great stories, personal stories about Harold Washington, and so you'll understand that I might be a little skeptical when people are like, this is just like when Harold Washington ran the second time, right? Um, but in reading the book and seeing some of the things, especially post-win, um, it's happened before. So we look at somebody like uh, Wagaspak, who's a progressive, right? Um, but hasn't been super active in our progressive caucus with the new progressives. Um, and, and now we have a progressive mayor and all of a sudden like Lakeshore progressive mayors lined up against Harold too. Like they lined up, they, they voted against their own political interests because they were afraid of a black person. Um, and it's wild to think that, um, whether it's intentionally or people listening to, right? Like the hype kind of on the outside, um, it's an astounding uh, amount of lack of self-awareness. And that's me being generous, the hoping that it's a lack of self-awareness. I hope that you just don't know what you sound like by saying these things. I hope you are uh, ignorant of what you are doing to the city. Like that's my generous yeah. estimation because the, the alternative is you know what you're doing and you're still doing it. And now that changes my judgment of you as a person completely. And you see Jeanette's face. Well, this was my, this is what I was gonna ask. And, you know, the, the last time city council had the, you know, these like grand plans and, 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 and kind of, uh, I guess took action to be independent was during the Harold Washington days during the council wars where suddenly it wasn't gonna be the mayor's agenda. It was gonna be, you know, you have to fight tooth and nail for every vote. So what, what does Mayor Johnson's governing coalition look like? And is this situation with, you know, Scott Wagsback basically saying like, like, don't mess with me, you know, is this a threat to the possibility that Brandon Johnson will be able to like 
you know, advance the legislations he wants to advance in council? Like how, how, you know, yes, these historical parallels definitely seem to be appropriate that like, okay, we've got this progressive black mayor in office, now suddenly aldermen are talking about their independence. Um, is, is there, you know, will there be a governing coalition and how, like, how fragile would it be? Because Harold could not get anything done for four years because it was so close. So the difference kind of is you got real progressive people there. See, people throw around that word that they are progressive, but you vote against the interest of your people. You're not progressive. There's another progressive like you. And while Maria was nice, your ass is just racist. That's it. You're racist. You're racist, and that's what the fuck it is. Like it or not, sorry. She, Maria's the nice person. She's the <laughs> peacekeeper in our council. Usually I'm the person that's cussing you out, but Maria is definitely the key speaker. But Brandon has the votes. Look at all of the new people who've come in. Look at the, full, the people that he've had, he's had before he even got there. Remember, we were already building this. Like, it started with Sue Garza, and it started with, uh, why is that child's name blanking my mind? Carlos Rosa. And so we started off with progressive people already. I'm sorry, I... Who we? That's a 40 is not the new 20. I'm going to say it again. Uh, I had those memory gaps. But yeah, so we already have those people. And if you looked over the last four years, you saw people who weren't nece necessarily progressive turn out to be progressive and vote with us. And the Latino caucus and the black caucus has the biggest blocks. So he, he's going to be okay, I promise you. Because a lot of those people in the black and Latino caucus are really progressive, really want to do good work, really are trying to make this city a city for all. And so he, they got a fight on their hands. And it, it's funny, there's a woman named Mama Zakia. Shout out to Mama Zakia. She came to city council last month and she was just like, I heard y'all trying to do what y'all did to Harold and I want y'all to know it's not gonna work. We are not gonna let y'all get away with it. So you're confident that Mayor Johnson would have the votes to advance his legislative agenda in council? I, I with, with or I without agree. Scott Wagesbeck? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and I would agree, and I, I wanna add on to Jeanette's point, and it's about us, it's about us who are in council, it's about new people coming in council, but the thing that connects us is the, um, the platforms, the issues, and the actions that we wanna work on together. So I think that's where it makes it, it makes it easier, like, uh, to find alignment, and to find the kind of compromises that make a smart progressive agenda for Chicago, right? So any mayor coming in has got a, an agenda that hopefully is based on a platform that people chose and, and they built right through a strenuous campaign and, and then people voted for it. And uh, Mayor-elect Johnson's campaign and his platform issues are very similar to a lot of ours because they all came from the same place. They came from the movement and they came from our communities. Um, so I think that's the strength we have to build upon. Um, and I, I think we've got the votes collectively to work together. And so what do each of you plan to do? Let's say that you, new council convenes, you all vote again and you both have the committee chairs that you currently have based on the symbolic vote, what's your agenda gonna be? What are you gonna do with the Environment and Energy Committee? What are you gonna do with this new Youth Services Committee? So, Tell us about that. Based upon what happened a couple of weeks ago, so I got in trouble for saying that I would whoop them kids. I'm still, anybody wanna be a part of my flash mob with the belts? <laughs> See me afterwards, because all they need is a little love and ass whooping. They'll be just fine. Um, 
For me, it's about building a youth council. So asking every member of city council to have one young person that meets with us on a consistent basis. Us really pushing agendas that, or things that young people are actually gonna use. A lot of times we implement without asking and we waste so much money, resources, and time that we don't ask. And so it's bringing young people to city council, which too often you notice we'll stop a whole city council meeting when young people show up, but we ain't got a space for them to eat. <laughs> they all got to show their IDs. This they damn building. They pay taxes too. And so really bringing young people into the city to say, what are the things that you need to get you to be functioning young people, but also having fun? I was just telling Ben, I don't have a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't got a theater. I don't got a bowling alley. I have nothing for young people to do. And so and that wasn't right in my community. So that wasn't my, I never went downtown. Because I had plenty of things to do in my own community, so you wouldn't catch me downtown. I feel like downtown is overrated, but that's just all the woman type. So I never look, because it's busy, it's a bunch of people, I just, it drove me nuts. But as a kid, I could go to a theater that I could walk to. I could Where go did you to grow a, up? I grew up in, I actually grew up in Pat Dow's ward. So, so it's there, nothing, all those things were there when you were growing up? My, the first thing that I ever saw in theaters was The Wiz. My mother took me to the Met Theater, if you're old enough. I know you remember. No offense. But the Met Theater is where I went. No offense. You know that, being. We talk like this all the time. And so I remember those things. I remember the skating rink being on 63rd and King Drive. Well, 66 and King Drive is now the church. So I told Preston Brooks, like, I get you on the Save Souls, but you didn't took the skating rink, and we had nothing. And so it's us putting those things in every community to make sure we got them. You don't get young people downtown. And we're missing the young people who are not connected. Young people who are not part of an organization who, whose family don't work in that. I worked in retail, and so I only knew people because my mother was a clerk at the school, but that's a relationship. A lot of young people don't come from there. They come from these working homes where the mama working all the time, and young people need stuff to do. And so it's us passing the peace book, making sure things like that happen. And so giving young people a real insight, and you know why people stay in office forever? It's because we don't teach them that this is a job you don't have to fit in a box to. And so the thought that I got a coworker who's been there since 1969, who has just now decided to leave it for whatever reason, thank you for your service. We need term limits, that's number one. And number two, young people need to be able to, to, to have access to things we keep from them. I know y'all didn't think them putting a curfew mm. on Millennium Park. I still don't know what the Bing does. I just know it's there. <laughs> yeah. We spend a lot of money to keep it clean and protected. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what it does, but at either way, you telling young people they can't go, what happens? We do it. I was, I was one of those kids who had to touch the stove to see how hot it is. Wait, so before we, uh, Maria gets to talk about what she's going to do with her committee, let's follow up on this. Okay. Because, uh, the mayhem in the loop, which is what, what I call it, if you come up with a better name for it, let me know, uh, <laughs> that took place a couple Saturdays ago, uh, that was blamed on Brandon Johnson, even though he was still he's not, not the, in he's not in office, uh, which supposedly gave Chicago a black eye around the world, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because of yeah, all my the things. My grandma that, in Russia was asking me about, about what is happening in the loop in Chicago. They're literally showing this on state propaganda TV, so, scaring people about how terrible America yeah, so, is. Yeah, so you saw your grandma. What? What do you call your grandma? Babushka. Ba babushka. <laughs> yeah. Tell Babushka. Is that? Did I say it right? <laughs> I told her, don't watch TV. They're lying to you. No. Tell her. Did she see when the Bulls won in what was it? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Are we gonna bring that up? We, yeah, so we're not gonna yeah. say nothing no, about that. Yeah, we're not gonna talk about when they won the <laughs> hockey game and tore up the whole damn city. So we forgot about that, yeah. right? Yeah. Get out of here. All right. So, uh, yeah. No. You don't get me going about the 1993 when the Bulls won. <laughs> I had a uh, baby. 
I know I was I my daughter was born that day and people were calling me like congratulations girl they tear it up 47th street I'm like what well, oh, they, the they were it was happening in uh uh the Gold Coast it happened it on Michigan happening. Avenue yeah. it had Rush Street uh it happened all over the city everybody was so excited when the Bulls won uh, I was excited too, but somehow or other, uh, Jeanette, I resisted going out and overturning cars. Uh, so, um, all right. So let's say you're the chair mm -hmm. of the youth committee, mm -hmm. and let's say this happened on your, uh, while you were the chair. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, when anything happens in the city of Chicago of significance, the city council has nothing to do with it. There are no hearings about it. There's no conference about it. It's like the mayor holds a press conference. They, let's say if it's crime related like this, the police chief would be there. Uh, and, uh, you know, like business leaders would be brought in to say, this has given us a black eye, blah, blah, blah. But you would not hear anything from the Chicago City Council. It has legislative body, it has subpoena powers, it could do all kinds of investigations. You can bring people to the, in front of your committee and ask what happened, this and that. This was part of the fight between uh, your, your guy Raylo and Mayor uh, Lightfoot back at the, uh, right after George Floyd was murdered when he wanted to have an honest discussion, I give Raylo credit on this, about what the city's strategy was, and then they started, she cussed him out. So here is my question. If you're the chair, will you hold hearings, which you would like to try to find out what exactly Absolutely. happened? You asking me? Yes. So all of those conversations happened in our community. So just because you didn't see it happen at city council didn't mean what we was talking about it. What happened is we couldn't get enough of those coward co-workers of ours to be able to join the conversation with us. So y'all know what they do when they don't want shit to pass or they don't want people to hear it. Same thing they did with Bring Home Chicago. Don't come in. Go so, upstairs. Go to your other. That's the type of stuff they do. So we still have those conversations. They're just not out to the public. But for me, there will be a conversation every time whether something happens or not because we have to get to the root cause. We continue to put this Band-Aid on the bullet wound and we can't do that anymore. We can't afford to lose any more young people. We can't afford to be sitting in our community scared either. Like some of y'all scared of these kids. I go on the back of the bus. Want to know why? Because they telling all the secrets. They telling everything they like. They telling you about all the secret songs. Listen, and any real changes came in this community came from who? Young people. I'll wait. And so. when you're saying that like you'll, you'll be holding these meetings and people won't be able to just stop that process by sitting out, part of the way that you'll be able to do that is these committees will have fewer members and so you need fewer people in the room to have a quorum and have your meeting, right? Absolutely. Is, is, that's part of the reorganization if I'm understanding correctly. Correct. So before these committees are, have way more members, bunch of people stay, stay out of the meeting, you can't hold a meeting and have any kind of discussion. Now this will be, this, will, this, this won't be such a huge hurdle. Well, you can have a discussion, you just can't hold any votes right. to what you're saying. So that's the problem. We could have, it, it, to me, it, a lot of that would have wasted our time because people wouldn't have showed up and we couldn't have been able to move in a legislative way that may, may have helped the situation. And so some of those meetings did happen because our coworkers just would not show up. They just, yeah. they wouldn't. And so, I, but I also don't want to meet about the meeting either. I am not here to waste anybody's time and I want us to be informed. And so us reorganizing this, um, for me, gets our communities informed. Because a lot of times, the community doesn't know what we're doing. They don't have a clue that I don't go to bed sometimes to one or two in the morning, even though I got phone boundaries and stuff. They, they, they don't know. They don't know that I'm out in the community looking at potholes and riding the ward and going to different organizations. And so we've kind of come to city council and, and talked about what the possibilities could be and what we could do different. And we've done it. 
It just, you all haven't really gotten to see it in a way. There are a lot of awesome things that our caucuses do that y'all would never even imagine. They just do. Like, we, we, we give out scholarships. We send young people to college. We, we do a lot of things. They're just not talked about in the open, so you don't know. We got to do a better job at communicating. All right. Uh, but I'd love to see those hearings because, again, usually it would be police officers talking about how are police deployed uh, during this uh, you know, unrest. Why weren't there more police in downtown? I would love to see, like, who was the brains behind getting all those kids to come downtown? Was it some someone who sent it out on social media? That person should be organized, being so organized. every time they didn't get together, I didn't get the message on Instagram, <laughs> on Twitter, like, as if they invited me, like, you wanted the cool adults, come hang with us. So I see them every time, and I don't pass them to the police. I want young people to have fun, but I want them to have fun and safety. That's the thing for me. And so what you didn't see was they were really out hanging out and dancing and singing. Like, that. the media missed all that. That just showed you, you just saw the kids jumping on top of the bus. Yes, let's get a better whoop their ass. Yes, they need some help. Let's discipline them. Let, let's not lock these kids up either, because I am not with locking young people up. We, yeah. we, we've done enough of that. We got, so we got to do something different. And so for me, my committee is a space where young people get to run, young people set the agenda, young people talk about the things that are important to them. Because one of the things we don't talk about, and I'll stop at this, is the high suicide rate that we have even in my community. Not even a conversation, ain't even nothing you even heard of. And so we got to do it better at making sure that everybody is getting taken care of. All right. Uh, I, I'm going to jump in and, and just kind of continue, um, Jeanette, on kind of visions of how she would do things differently that I agree the city needs. So, you know, if I get to be chair for environment and energy, um, I like to tell people um, environmental concerns are always a part of the 49th Ward's kind of values and interests. We're a lakefront community. Um, uh, historically, a bunch of lefties, as Ben would say, um, and left-leaning, um, but especially through this term, we started uh, 2019 losing three beaches through lakefront erosion, right? High lake levels, and this was, you know, the far north side and our kind of nearer south side, right? Um, so like South Shore, right, right over here, and then same, our mirror image up in 49th Ward and a bit of Edgewater, right? We experienced those high lake levels, these erosions, uh, people's homes at risk, it was wild. And then in 2020, we had a tornado we had a tornado. On my street. Right? Yeah. That was wild. Um, and then last year, we had record flooding. We have record flooding every year now. Um, the 49th Ward, if you think of Chicago's geography, we're east of Ridge. Ridge used to be like the shoreline, like a long time ago. So like we're all kind of on sand. So like 99% of my ward flooded during that September 11th flood. Um, it was wild. So um, our city is impacted every day by climate change. Um, by environmental policies and actions that we should have probably enacted a long time ago. And that's, that's one piece of it. And then there's like, just like the everyday things that people are interested in that we need to do to move the city along. Um, so I'm really interested in, one, getting us an Department of Environment. We need a central, authorized, funded body to help coordinate the city's efforts. Um, and this isn't about... Um, but I think, you know, when you think of the original Department of Environment or, you know, uh, you guys remember Captain Planet? You remember Captain Planet? So, like, when we were growing up, like, recycling Captain Planet, everything was kind of, like, 
this like kind of fun green type things. And now it's like, are you gonna be able to live here? What are we doing with climate refugees, right? <laughs> um, can we build more basement apartments in the 49th Ward? Should we? I don't know. We might, we, maybe we shouldn't anymore because of the flooding we're anticipating. Um, we had sinkholes open up like crazy around the city in March and April because it didn't get cold enough this winter to develop a frost line. Um, so um, the environment can seem like kind of a, a fluffy, nice to have thing, but I would argue it's super impactful um, to everyday Chicagoans. And that's not even touching on air quality and pollution and environmental toxins. So we did not meet, I think we met like three or four wow. times, right, under Chairman Cardenas, um, who also put an affordable housing development next to an asphalt plant after yeah. putting an asphalt plant next to a park. Um, which I would never do. So as chair, chair of the environment, of the environment committee. Okay. as chair of the environment committee, I would not put an asphalt plant next to a park yeah. or affordable housing next to an asphalt yeah. plant. Um, but I want to uh, add a thing. We can also take our space to the community. So Jeanette talked about how hard it is for people to come to City Hall, that disconnect. Um, we can take our committee meetings and our hearings. We can take our show on the road. And I think that's one of the things I would like to do. Okay, so... We're talking environment now. Mm -hmm. Don't get me going. So I'm going to, um, one of the issues, this gets back to what I was saying before, they never talk about this stuff in the city council. These are all deals cooked up by the mayor. So I'm thinking about the transformation of the north side uh, on the Chicago River, uh, where it was a heavily industrial. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're transforming it right now. They, the you, neither of you voted for it, so I'm not going to blame you. The $1.3 billion uh, Lincoln Yards project. Mm -hmm. And to get that uh, project going, they had to move General Dynamics to... General Iron. Jo General bad. Dynamics General is from Dynamics. that really great show. Yeah, no, yeah, I, boy, that's uh, the old man's brain working there. They had to move that down to uh -huh. the far southeast side. Mm -hmm. No city council discussion on that one. No larger discussion of what it means to put this facility, this metal crushing facility, in an area where there is already uh, a lot of environmental damage. Uh, no discussion of why you would want to move a, a facility that people on the north side despise and say, get out of my community. Why just stick side. it in another yeah. community without really mm -hmm. asking them if they want it? Uh, no discussion as to how it's going to be different on the south side than it was on the north side to protect people. It's just a deal that Mayor Rahm cut. And because Mayor Rahm cut it, he's the adult in the room. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, and that's classic Chicago. They've transformed the neighborhood in the north side. They moved the trucks, the streets and sanitation where they used to keep the dump trucks. Mm -hmm. They moved those to Sawyer's Ward in the 6th Ward and told the people in the 6th Ward, oh, this is good economic development for you, without mentioning that nobody wanted it on the north side. They're opening it up for a huge development. Would you have discussions like this, Maria, in your committee where you talked about the impact of, like, why one part of the city gets the high-class development and the other part of the city gets the dump trucks. That Absolutely. And I'll say, you know, though it wasn't something we were able to take up in committee, because I did serve as a member um, on this committee through this term, um, I've got good connections with environmental justice organizers and residents on the southeast side, and we know each other from other efforts and other work, and um, they reached out to me. 
I had conversations with my colleagues. Like, though we didn't get to, and this gets to Jeanette's point, though we didn't get to have public meetings, um, making sure that we are accessible as older people, not just to the constituents in our ward, but especially if you're stepping into the role of a chair of a committee, you've got to be open to everybody in the city. Um, and your committee should be a space where not just, it's not just a space for legislation to pass and get through, go through the motions, it's a space for hearings and public discourse, and it should be a space where issues, um, so, like 10th Ward residents were raising this issue, right? 10th Ward residents um, should have a voice. Um, you know, 12th Ward residents were raising issues and still are about Matt Asphalt, right? They should have a space, and yeah, I think my committee would be a space for that. Well, so, but what would you do, this is like a problem that I think exists on all levels of municipal, local government, state government, but also between, in the space between the executive and legislative branch. So let's talk about like a very specific environmental issue that recently came up in the city, like the Hillco demolition thing in Little Village, right? This massive smokestack gets demolished, releases all this crap into the air, it blows over parks and schools and in a community where already it's like one of the most polluted areas of the city where people are constantly struggling with the effects of environmental racism. So the city gave permits for this demolition to happen, right? The city buildings department right? They, that is an executive controlled department of the city. The mayor's office controls the building department, you know, on the flow chart of city power. In the city council, if there was anything to be done to, to you know, counteract that power, uh, it could happen in an environmental committee, but we, there's a buildings committee on city council. And so what, what like, where is the locus of power that could prevent another Hillco demolition? Where in the city council do we find that? Which committee would be responsible for that? And do you, as the environment, you know, an energy and environment committee, have any say in, the, in, in a process like this when there's a whole separate committee that's like the buildings and zoning and permits people? So I would argue that not all the solutions would be in a committee. Um, I don't think a committee, even with a chair that was, like, let's say we had, um, let's say I'd been the chair of the Environment Committee this term, I don't think my being the chair of that committee, under the circumstances we had, would have prevented the Hillco demolition. I don't think it would have, because the structures aren't there, for us, to your point, to have those conversations, right? It's like an executive function. Now, in that particular situation, too, there are questions of, I think one of the big concerns were, community weren't really notified either, right? Like there wasn't a lot of notification. So there wasn't much time for people to raise an issue or a concern, which is a lot of times how we act. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's one of the limitations of your legislative body of, if we don't know a thing's going to happen or if we don't know that there's a concern about an issue, but that I would argue is why we need a Department of Environment. So the practice of how demolitions are approved and I think that the argument that I, I support is it never should have happened because someone should have said, wait, this particular type of demolition, right, is going to cause these health risks. What's our process for like evaluating the health risks? What are the processes and the best practices for 
minimizing or diminishing those health risks, right? And that can happen in executive function. Like if you've got the processes, if we've got climate, environment, and kind of health environmental issues embedded in everything that we do, which is what department power does, right? And that's to coordinate, then they the would have been able- The department power that is, for, comes from the mayor. The department power that comes from the city council and the mayor. So a department head gets to work on an agenda and also has authority in working with other departments. So with an empowered department of environment, they could say, hey, department of buildings, this is what you've got to do to update your standards on demolitions. Here are the things that we've seen based on instances. This is the new policy or practice. Yes, an executive team, the mayor's policy team, people have to do it. If it leads to some actual policy or ordinance change, it would have to come through city council. But a lot of these things could just be practices. If it was a code amendment, it would come to council and it would go through zoning and buildings. You could have something that was in a joint committee of zoning, buildings, and environment. So the short is there's not one pathway to some things like that, but forethought and actually centering and having a priority and a value of saying the city is going to do these things to be uh, safer and have healthier practices from an uh, environmental equity standpoint means that those things get reviewed. And I think that we have that commitment in our current kind of mayoral administration, but then that's where older people can also push on those things of we had a bad thing happen, now we can say how are we gonna prevent it from happening. Um, again, I would argue me being the chair of a committee with all the other circumstances being the same, I don't think it would have prevented it because of the other controls that aren't in place. I don't think it would have prevented it, uh, but again, it would be a similar thing as I was talking about with Jeanette, uh, with the mayhem in the loop. It would be a, a venue where you would have a hearing as to why it happened. And that would be, particularly under Lori Lightfoot's administration, there'd be so much pushback because she would be so mad at you because she would think you would be trying to show her up, make her look bad. Uh, and Mayor Rahm would, well, he wouldn't even let you be. You know? And so you, it's, it's unthinkable to think that anybody remotely like you. That's why these committees are a big waste of time. You know, like, you, like I said, is the, the Hillco demolition in the middle of the pandemic, showering the, the, that whole neighborhood. But that's why people were does. paying attention because we were in the middle of a pandemic. And so somebody should have been fired on their day off because we were all at home. It'll be different if people were back. And that's what I say. Like, it'll be different if nobody was watching it. It would have been, they had a demo. It got some smoke around, but we were all at home. And so it just, it didn't make sense. And I feel like the alderman was put in a bad place as we made this decision and don't say nothing. Now, that's, that's what he decided to do. That ain't what I would, I would have blew the whistle on her ass so fast. Like, she about to knock down the building, y'all. <laughs> we all at home, we all about to get, but it's because we do, to Maria's point, we, we work in silos. So these, these, these departments don't talk to each other. Yeah. They don't know, depart, CDOT doesn't know what transportation is doing. They are supposed to work hand in hand, which is why some of these traffic things, so I'ma bring up what's going on around here. This mess that's on Stony Island, y'all better than me. I don't drive, I Uber or somebody, somebody driving me, cause that's a mess. And whoever did the street study on that is Stevie Wonderblind and need to be fired <laughs> on their day off. Who in the hell thought that that was okay? That's what's, not what's okay. Happen, what's happening on Stony Island? So you know they're cutting off Cornell Drive for the Obama Presidential Center. And so now they're working on Stony Island. So you got four, maybe two, 
lanes that you're trying to get through. Look, you, you see them two lanes, yeah. and it takes you like 30 minutes to get through. And like, what was y'all thinking when y'all came up with this plan? Like, who was watching? Like, they need to be fired. You know, just, just let's think about this. If you had an independent city council, which I can't in a million years imagine the independent city council, but whatever. If you had an independent city council, just think of the Obama Center. Wouldn't be. I mean, the, you, the, the lack of any kind of public discourse other than that first meeting at, um, uh, at uh, High Park High School where Leon Finney packed the place and it was like, this is what the South Side wants. And so, like, North Side, Lakefront liberals, park lovers, get out. This is not your situation. We want this here. We want it now. <laughs> okay. So it now is. you got gentrification. You got the Stony Island mess up. You tore up Jackson Park. But you didn't want to have any discussion before it went down. You, you it get was a discussion. You just wasn't a part. Of it. <laughs> That's it true. Was some, yeah, it, it was, was a, a whole of bunch it. of discussion they was doing. It just didn't include us. Yes, and so it, and the exactly. first big meeting they yes. had was at the McCormick place. That's when I got called all type of cool. And I wasn't even in office. I just was like, okay, the the city is great if you say, but what about a community benefits agreement? And basically, the president of the United States said to me, "Oh, I used to be an organizer. That's great, but we're not gonna do that because we'll have organizations out the woodwork coming to sign something." And what did he do? Start a fucking organization. I'm sorry. Yeah. I went back in time. Excuse me. Uh, by the way, y'all, we'll, we'll we're gonna open it up to questions. So if you've got a burning question, come on up. There's a mic right here. You can line up. We'll as you guys. Uh, Pool towards the microphone. We'll uh, let you guys get your question in, but um, go ahead. Yeah, no, but what I'm saying is like, I just can't even imagine. We almost had the Olympics without any hearings, which would have filled up the parks with junk. Uh, which We're having NASCAR here. Yeah, we, we had NASCAR here, no hearings. How, how is that going <laughs> to... This city doesn't They're want closing hearings. Closing down Columbus Drive in both directions know, for the next, like, We're talking about several moving the weeks to Navy Pier. That's where they're going to move it because the, it's they won't they can't do it because of NASCAR. Okay. <laughs> we got what a question. <laughs> yes. Oh, Hi. Um, right now, it feels like the process for an individual or resident in the the city making a change um, requires moving across multiple committees. For example, if someone was like, "I want to have chairs at Millennium Park," or was like, "There's more. There should be more, or at least the same amount of trash cans on the south side as there are on the north side." To to come to um, one committee feels like it wouldn't get that process done. Feels like that that is, that is a thing that spans multiple committees. How? Like it just, it just, yeah. How do how do we how would we deal with uh, a person deal with that, or is that? It's a good question, and in in your question, and, and the answer I give you, you're gonna hate, um, because there are no committees that decide that. You don't have to worry about committees for that. Um, now I will say, uh, you mentioned a park issue, and then you mentioned like a, a trash can city issue. So we're two different agencies, yeah, two different corporations. So you're right. There's a big division there, right? So if you want to talk about improvements for a particular park you need to go to that park advisory council. So these are volunteer, I encourage people who care about their parks, please volunteer and join your park advisory council. Um, so I, I've, 
park advisory councils. Um, so that's a space where community members get to have some say. Then, of course, you have your park, uh, park district board meetings, which are where other decisions are made. And they're, I think, even more difficult and opaque than city council meetings, right? But you're right. There's a whole so process, right? Is, uh, and then trash the cans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trash cans, those are really ward by ward. Um, and it's the number one request that I get in my ward. So my ward is 2.2 square miles. So I'm not the densest ward. I think 34 now is now the densest, smallest ward. Since our wards are divided up by population, right, we can have very different geographic sizes, right? So think of the 20th ward and its size versus the 49th ward. Or you want to get really big, go to the 10th ward. Right, so we've got all this infrastructure in very large wards and then small infrastructure in, in the 49th ward or 46th ward, right, 44, some of the lakeshore wards with more density. Um, I don't get to decide the amount of trash cans that I get. If I want to- Because wanna, it's a streets and sand and therefore a mayoral issue? No, no, the, ma pay for no the, mayor, the mayor doesn't decide how many trash cans you get either. At some those point- Those garbage cans cost $150 and I had to take mine and literally chain them to a CTA poll because they would steal them. And so, and it comes out of metal. my menu money. Yeah, but one of the other issues um, with trash cans, we can decide that we want to buy more and spend more with our, our capital infrastructure. The challenges we have are actually on the service because yeah. then you get into labor agreements. So somebody who we pay and who is a union employee also has to pick those up. And there are, like, if we add twice as many trash cans, that's twice as much labor. And so we don't have control over labor costs. So some of those things are small negotiations. But you would never say, I want to have the same amount of trash cans in the 20th ward as I do in the 49th ward. You wouldn't because we're too different. Um, you would right. want but the you 20th just ward with one plan. time telling this young man about how he can't get trash cans because there are all these complications. How can that's he why get I said, trash cans? That's why yeah, I said I you would hate my, my answer. My question is like, I so said you were going to hate my answer. So the, <laughs> there, there's like how how do we how do we get things done? Because it sounds like there's, there's no real way name? to do that right Where now. Where do you live? Yeah, let's, 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 oh, I, I live in Pilsen. Oh, you live in. So you who's your own? 21st. 21st? Yeah. 21st? 21st? No, 25th. 25th. 21st so yeah, you 25th have Byron. Ward. Sorry, I, I was oh. saying my street. 25th Ward. Y'all live it so Byron. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Byron. Yeah. Call Byron. Yeah. Byron. So, so you talk, talk to your older person. Organize with neighbors is the other thing. So like Absolutely. for real, if there's like uh, an, an area that it's like we really need a trash can here, like we really do, get collective power, get enough people together that say you really want a trash can and go to your older person and see what they can do. Okay. Thank you. Can't help you on the park. Cool. Maria, we need Appreciate a stop it. sign at Fargo and Ashland. There are accidents there all the time. Um, I <laughs> Do I need to get everybody on the block to sign a petition that we study? No, you have. There are stop signs at every intersection. Two ways. We need a four-way stop. <laughs> anyway, this is this is a ward ward level issue. We have There's to do a traffic thing. study for that. Yes, you cannot put just a, we can't do it anymore. You so stop signs, one-way signs, anything to do with traffic has to go through a traffic study. And then it's an it ordinance. It is not a thing that you can call me and say, we need a stop sign. That is not how it was. So y'all see what we got to go through. So we got to put in a whole study, which takes 90 days to 120 days. CDOT. CDOT does it. But it and so they look at the, what they do is they literally sit outside and they watch that area for about 90 days. So they'll sit at the, I kid you not, <laughs> to watch to, and then figure out what the answer is. They, it's somebody else that comes out and says, you need a slowdown sign or you need a speed hump or yeah. something. We, don't, we, we can't do it anymore because they've abused it. 
So they don't allow you to just say, put yeah. some stop signs there. It'll be okay. Another question. <laughs> uh, you could also buy a 3D printer, maybe, for, for stop signs, trash cans. Marty worth, Quinn has one. It's worth the price it's of it. Blast graffiti. A, th- a 3D printer? It's a blast graffiti. That's awesome. It's worth the price of admission to see Maya uh, lobby her alder. I want to say that <laughs> to, to start. And I know Babushka's a fan of NASCAR, so don't, don't be smirch. Um, this is a little bit of a pivot, but um, the state's attorney's race is in a year and a half. And I know, I'm sorry. Well, it happened. You probably and I'm just wondering how you think it'll affect things, if you have any ideas of who might go for it, who you'd endorse, except Bob Fioretti and me. So that's, okay. that's my question. So it's disheartening to see Kim go um, because I feel like she didn't have enough time and she didn't get the support that she needs, regardless of what you think about her. She just didn't because, remember, Anita Alvarez was there forever and nobody said shit about her fucks up, but I'll, I'll digress. Um, remember the Bye Anita campaign? <laughs> I do. Bye, Anita. Bye, Anita. <laughs> we, we had another campaign, too, and it worked. But <laughs> I digress. Um, I don't know who. Being an elected official is not easy. People think we have it easy, because no, at, at no time do you win. And so I don't know why you crazy enough. Where you go? Okay, there you go. Look, I'm sorry. I don't got my glasses on. I'm, I can't see. Um, I don't know why you want this job, but if you want it, go, go forward. That's all I can say. We got to figure out what that office is really supposed to do and how do we support it. There was, there was too much infighting between her and Lori, and they kept playing the blame game, and that got us nowhere. That got us some foolishness. That's what it got us. And it got us more in trouble about the change that we want to see when it comes to our communities changing. And so I don't know why you would want that job, but congratulations if you get it. But I, I, we I don't, don't. We, we ain't even had because we literally just found out when everybody else that Kim was not coming back. That was not a conversation that she was having with folks. Cause I, and I've been concerned about her as far as her health is concerned because she just, she did a total 360 on how she looked and she was stressed. You know, when you get these jobs, you... I just told this to Ben, you don't leave it at your office. And so the 62-year-old mother that didn't got this place from her home, I worry about that every night. I can't leave that at my office. It's my job to do something. And so when you're thinking about this, kiss your wife and your kids. Talk to them now. Be their friends early on because you're going to need them if, if this is something you decide to do. We have to get people in office not only, or let me say this, when we get people in office, we leave them. Y'all wrong. So you will knock a door for me, you will raise a dollar for me, you will support me, you will make sure I eat, you have, and then once I get the job, you go, <laughs> you figure that shit out. That's not how this works. We need you all to stay with us and to, to help us create um, ordinances and legislation that makes sense. We need you in our ear to say, no, that ain't right, Alderman Taylor, that don't, let me tell you why. We need to have those hard conversations. So. We, we haven't talked about it, and like I said, we just literally found out. But if that's something any of you all decide to do, just know what comes with it. Don't, the people that you start off with, them the people you should end up with. I can't go to law school in a year and a half. Um, or maybe I, mean, I can't, I don't know. they got well, online. I don't, I don't bring it up just to like throw it out there. Florida, but you're talking Florida about might have something. Florida? Florida. I'm not going know. to Florida. Florida comes to me, that's DeSantis. Um, but I, I don't bring it up just to throw it out there. You're talking about coalitions that are being built, you know, pro- progressives who aren't. It, it feels like that race could gear up to be 
Vallis versus Johnson 2.0 with all the same tired rhetoric uh, that we are just over. Uh, so I didn't mean to just be like, no, what do you think's I, gonna win? Well, I think you're, I think you're right in that it's, it's a countywide race, so it's gonna impact a large amount of people. It's been um, an office that's been under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of division. And it's, there are a lot of things that we, uh, we're having to make decisions right now about keeping things the same or doing something different. And it is very challenging to do that collectively um, because it's human nature to want to stay with what's comfortable, even if it's killing you. It just is. Like, that's what we do. Like, oh, man, this is terrible. This is killing me. I know this is bad for me, but this is my comfort thing, so I'm going to stick there. And we do that collectively as well. And it's also really hard to get us to collectively try something different when we can't guarantee what the outcomes will be. Um, and I think that's one of the framings that I've had on both this mayoral race, but a lot of our political races that are coming up, but it's not just in our political elected offices, it's things people are kind of battling out right now culturally. Um, and we literally on some sides have people screaming, um, whether you wanna look at young people fighting for gun reform laws, right? As an example, people dying, screaming, protesting, you have to change this thing because it's costing us our lives. And you have people that are just like, I can't give up this comfort. I can't do anything different. If I did something different, it's the end of the world. And that's probably just like an age old human thing that we are just gonna continue to repeat through generations and generations. But um, we're definitely at one of those culmination points um, in the way of governance, in the way of criminal justice reform, and in the way of how we're relating to one another. Like, what do you do, and the pan pandemic really gave us opportunities for this, what do you do when you can't just lock everyone up? Like, that's really the question. Okay, we're not locking everyone up for everything. We're not locking people up for being poor. We're not locking people up for, uh, <laughs> you know, for having mental health issues. And what that's exposed, since we're not just locking everybody up and hiding right, our failures, we're seeing our failures every day. We have societal failures. We are not providing enough services. We are not providing enough uh, access for people. And if we don't fix those problems, we're gonna continue to see a lot of the consequences, right? Um, how do you keep people in check, right? Um, uh, this comes down in our ward. How do you get people to stop parking in front of crosswalks, <laughs> right? So this just seems like a wild thing, right? But this got really crazy during the shutdown, right? We stopped enforcing things. We couldn't enforce everything. There was like a loosening of enforcements of basic stuff. People also had a need, or well, we're all home and you know, we got a lot of working people in the 49th Ward who need cars for work, and it's like Rogers No Park, that's always a thing. Um, and then we kind of went back, it's a thing. That's good. Um, and then we went back, and enforcement started again, and you know, enforcement's never really reached that level again. And people knowingly, not only is it breaking a law, but it's deeply inconveniencing your community. Like, and this is this minimal thing, you park and you're blocking the crosswalk now and now the kids can't cross safely. And now somebody with a disability can't get through. Like you are inconveniencing and harming your community and there's no enforcement mechanism. And that's on the small end. Then we get to violent crime, right? We get to theft, we get to 
those types of things. And if we, it's like we don't have a social agreement and good enforcement mechanisms on how to, how do we say that's not okay as a community and meet it? And then how do we educate and inform and then support people to meet their needs? Um, some people would tell me uh, to get rid of cars or to make sure that I make parking for everybody. But on a bigger level, on those more serious issues, it's really where we're at. And we're definitely gonna see that show up in the state's attorney's race too. Thank you, don't write me in. <laughs> no, that was the third round, Pat. That uh, this uh, mayor's race, if, as I count it, it's the third round where we had like uh, law and order versus civility. I don't know how else to say it. You got to think Kim Fox, two rounds she went through uh, in 2020, uh, you know, with the, the primary and then the general. Uh, and then really the, the governor's race, Darren Bailey called Chicago a hellhole. Uh, so that was round two. This one was round three. I just expect they're just going to keep playing that yep. refrain. It's, it's going to be the presidential election in 2024. That's how Trump's going to try to scare people into voting for him. So, yeah, get ready. By the way, that is Pat Whalen. And uh, he does the best Nick Spazzato imitation you ever heard. Oh, so we gotta get that. Ooh, I yeah. dare you. Yeah, come on. I dare you. I dare you. No, we got a question here. We, 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 Pat, 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 Serving with you on a happy committee. Yeah, close your eyes and don't look, and it's just like he's here with you. <laughs> Madam Mayor, I want to say it's been an honor. The happy committee, it's back here in the back of the throat, and it's just a real flat, a flat dialect. So that's it. Thanks for coming to the show. Thank, thank you, Alderman Spazzato. <laughs> Nick Spazzato. That was, that was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. I have a lot of questions. So first I want to thank the promontory, Ben, Maya, and all the, obviously the older women for putting this together. Um, my first question is a point of information, really. You mentioned uh, older women Taylor menu money. What is that, right, for those that don't know? And the second thing is, or three questions, actually. The second thing is about um, this awesome space, right? I'm a young person. This is a promontory. We know how they get down, right, in this space but also knowing that they serve alcohol. How can we make these type of conversations more um, sexy, right? More appealing to younger people? And again, seeing that there is a, a open bar here, right? Or a bar rather here. How can we make these type of conversations more accessible to even younger people, right? And again, more sexy. Maybe sexy isn't the right word, but this more appealing. This is a appealing. lot of shade on our very no, bad no, no, promotion no, 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 no. Not, of not this shade, show. Not shade at all. This I am is a, very this is on excited, me and, ben. and I love being in these spaces. But again, how do we make them? Um, how do we make not only this space but other spaces? How do we make government? How do we make civics education alive and well in classrooms, in spaces where young people are at the park, different spaces like that? So not just this space, right? My, I didn't. No, no disrespect. We need at all. to be thinking about it. This is this is like a yeah, not just a question for the guests, but and we've never we've never talked about how we can make this show accessible to people under twenty one, and that's a really that's a really good point. Cut the price. But also people can't get, it. those people can't be at a bar, Ben. 
So if you start playing Nuck If You Buck instead of Stevie Wonder on your show. But also, I'm, I'm not sorry, saying I'm don't stuck with Stevie Wonder and D.L. Warwick. D.L. Warwick. And then my third and final question, uh, if y'all oblige me, is what is, what is like a new age level of transparency look like for community development throughout the city of Chicago? Because to Alderman Manhattan's point, um, about, again, making sure that we are hearing people saying, hey, we are literally dying in the streets for these things, right? Community development has to be a part of that. Or, I'm sorry, I think community development has to be a part of that conversation as well. Being that we don't have bowling alleys in the 20th Ward, but we want them, and our young people need them, need things to do. Thanks. <laughs> First yeah, so I'll start with me and you. So we get $1.5 million dollars in menu money and that is to fix sidewalks uh streets you fix alleys those beautiful signs that say don't park here we pay five hundred dollars for those those beautiful garbage cans that line 63rd and 67th street are 150 dollars a piece and all of that comes out of your money and so when you think about the menu money marie of course she can go over her ward a couple of times no actually it would take 15 years to really? It would take 15 years spending a million dollars a year to resurface like every street in the 49th Ward. So even for a small ward, um, so it's insufficient. Yeah. So it would take 200. <laughs> there you go. That's how big my ward is. I started off with 4,000 vacant lots. And because of some development that is going on, some whatever, <laughs> invest Southwest, invest in my nerves. Um, because of some things that are going on in the community, we're getting this push of development. And of course you all know because they're building the Obama Presidential Center in the, t well, it's in the fifth, but it's close to the 20th Ward. We got all of this development going on. And so for why the menu money is, is not that, enough. Why is it that the menu money has to pay for street resurfacing? These are streets that everyone has to drive on. It doesn't pay for. It doesn't have to pay for all of your street resurfacing. Right. So but some that, you got some. Ex, so that, what do you call them? There's arterial streets, streets. There's right. corridor streets. Um, actually, one of um, there are a lot of great things that Mayor Lightfoot did through her administration. One of them was really the investments that we've done in our capital budget. Yep. So like we have a we capital plan that the city's doing to fix things. They give us uh, a it free gives street, us, you get a free alley. Yeah, like so you get a green alley. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's just, which is like, in what, 200,000? Yeah. So it's 200,000. No, no, it's like 400,000. Yeah, it's yeah. not cheap. Yeah, so, and they, so that comes out of that 1.5. No, no, for a green alley. For a green alley. What is a green so alley? So permeable. You're taking us down. You're taking us down a spiral of infrastructure <laughs> minutia. I want to point this out, Maya. As a person who personally sponsored a city light pole at <laughs> the cost did, of two thousand dollars, <laughs> I want to know all of the minutia. So if you can think of the alley in our ward, so between Morse and. Um, uh, between uh, actually Lunt and Greenleaf, um, there is a T alley. That's the closest one you'll see. They're really great. They're help. They're more sustainable. It's called the Green Alley. The Green Alley for water management, right? So the city doesn't care about your alleys in the sense that it's not part of our regular kind of resurfacing and maintenance. We don't plow. One of the problems with alleys a lot of times are flooding. Yep. Um, so green alleys give you an investment that's not just paving over asphalt. Um, so they're actually layers. Right. Yeah, they tear everything they tear up, they dig up it up. And it's engineered specifically to make sure that there's water flow. There's usually some new sewer mains that are put in um, to help guide water out of the alleys and to help make our overall 
overall infrastructure more permeable, which is fantastic, and something we can do on alleys, which don't get as much wear and tear as streets. Um, so it's what, um, when I put in an alley request in the 49th Ward, and this is for all the 49th Ward residents listening, I've got people that are like, why hasn't my alley been resurfaced? It's because in our ward, because of the water table, because of the infrastructure, um, CDOT will say, hey, that alley really should be a green alley. Mm -hmm. Right, like we don't want to sink a bunch of money into just repaving that again because it's going to create more problems than it solves. So it should be a green alley. Yep. And then I have to say, where's my green alley money? Um, because they do cost like they can be like half a million dollars. Um, so it's a green alley. So the city, there are other things that pay for infrastructure outside of the menu, but the aldermanic menu largely is like, like uh, Jeanette said a lot of the stuff that you might impact day to day, those alleys, those sidewalks, the lights, um, things like that. Yeah, the, the, the dumb light program, not the smart light, because it's nothing smart about these lights. But it seems like a recipe for inequity because your ward is much bigger than yours, and if each of you only get one green alley, and you still get the same amount of menu money, there's no way that that money goes as far in your ward in the 20th as it does in the 49th. And so... So we're talking about legislation that says that Maria wouldn't lose her 1.5, it would add to my 1.5. And so that's, that's kind of been the issue because there has been some debate. No, Maria's in the 49th award and while it's a small award, I wouldn't ask her to give up her minion money to give it to my award just to get, to get now in a perfect world. Yeah, I'd be like, Maria, give me a few dollars. But that, that's still not fair to Maria's ward. And so what we're looking to go back to do is to make sure we're adding more money to the menu with wards that are over uh, a certain, a certain size. So that's, that's a conversation. That was something we was pushing. Well, so like the 10th ward would left. get more money Absolutely. because it geographically because, is so right. enormous compared. But everybody would still get mm -hmm. their one point because that, that was the fight. People who got the, the, the million at first, because it was a million at first, people were saying, well, could we take from a smaller ward? And Maria was like, uh, no, you, you can't, which, which is right. She's not right for wanting to take away from her way to take away from her ward. But how do we help, you know, my community that's, what, three or four times bigger than hers. And so we're, we're already working on legislation to fix a lot of those things because we see a lot of the problems that we have are stuff that we do internal and it's just, it's backwards. Like it doesn't make sense. Community development. Um, I'll give a brief example of things that I think we're trying to do a little differently in 49. Um, and it is much more participatory. It's um, more intentional. And so one of my large commercial corridors that also happens to border the city of Evanston is Howard Street. And um, being on the edge of the city, um, we don't get a lot of attention. And this is, this is around all the edges of the city. Like pretty much any neighborhood or ward that has a border on the, like the edge of the city is hurting for attention, it's difficult to do planning, you're frequently kind of left out of large city plans. Um, and then there's jurisdictional challenges, right? So um, we're looking for more investment on Howard Street. And we could do the traditional way of, like we've uh, you know got some city-owned lots that we're looking at, and we could do an RFP process, and we could uh, bid out to a developer with kind of a little bit of a vision, and then the person who kind of has the highest bid, right, goes through the city's process and then builds what they want. And we likely, based on the site and the details, we could end up with something that's pretty traditional, um, 
maybe a, a big box or mini version of a big box store and some residential on top. And that's kind of like the thing that people do. It's a big project that my predecessor did kind of on his way out in a different area of the ward. Um, we got like a Target and some um, affordable housing like in mixed with like market rate housing. And it's a nice building. Um, and it's caused a huge headache of traffic problems and a whole other issue. Um, but that's not what I think Howard Street needs, and it's not what my community told me that Howard Street needs, because people who live around Howard Street and north of Howard, um, in the years that I've lived in Rogers Park and before running for office and, and continuing to do so, um, they're always saying, like, we're not included in the plan. Why aren't we getting a voice in the plan? So we actually worked with the Metropolitan Planning Council, and it was an arrangement I made. As soon as I got elected, I like call, it was one of the first calls I made. I want you guys to work with our community to do like a community-based plan, a corridor development plan, where we get to, with um, no strings attached and no pressure, right? Like we get to decide. Um, what you want to see here, and you get to have like different options. And then based on, we took like a year and a half to do that corridor plan through COVID. Um, and now we've got a document and a plan where I've got a really good idea of what people want. And one of the big factors that we're building into our community development in that area is also community wealth building. So like, as we talk about community benefits agreements, advancing on that. What are the other things that are really going to make things more sustainable? So I think uh, recentering who's involved in the conversation is a big way we can do community development differently. Well, I think we're almost out of time, but I'd like to... One, if, one quick go, one. Yeah, go ahead. I'm Tony Fox. I've owned some businesses on the north side and south side. Um, my question is, what is the new uh, plan to address poverty, both on the north, south, and west sides of the city? There's um, Just a quick question for the end of the show. I'm not looking for any granular level details. Just is there is there going to be a plan, and and what are the major tenets of the plan? So investing in the community that allows the community to invest. And so we think about all these large development. And so development doesn't get done in my ward without two community meetings and without people in a 0.5 mile radius around that development being able to vote on it. Um, if it's TIF dollars, everybody in that TIF district gets to vote. Now, it's been a struggle because people, they don't believe what you say, they believe in what you do. And so I had to really show people and really developers, so no disrespect to the developers in the room, that you are on the community's time, not, not our time. And a lot of times, we build these developments and they fail. They don't work in our communities. And they don't work because we didn't ask the people who live around it. We didn't, they know nothing about it. They just, and that was one of the biggest things that happened to me when I was running for election the first time. People would say they were tired of coming home, seeing things pop up. And so I'll, I'll share with y'all the Popeye's chicken story. So 14% of the ward is Latinx. I represent back of the yard in parts of New City. And there was this, on 47 right off racing, there was a big laundromat. And I lived literally a mile up, and I used to use the laundromat because it was a dry-free, it was big, you could, it was open 24 hours. I could utilize it whenever I wanted to. Well, it closed, and at the time, it's, it's not even in the 20th. The 20th is on one side of the street, and the third war is on the other side of the street. So it opened up, and it changed to what? A Popeye's. The Latino woman that lived up the street was like, we Latino, we don't eat that much chicken. Why would they put a Popeye's up there? 
I wasn't mad at her. And actually, when I left, I went in the car and bust up laughing because I'm like, we eat a lot of chicken. I would appreciate it this Popeyes on my block, but okay. But to her point was, they weren't even asked. It was a thing to fill up the empty space. They didn't want it to be empty. And they never even consulted the community about what it wants to be. That's not what we do on the 20th. You do not get my letter of support. I don't even look at your projects without even having the community development team there. We have to make sure that the city is transparent and it has to start somewhere. For so long we've been told what we can't do and there just wasn't the political will to do it. And so now that we have political will, nothing goes through without the community having to say so. You don't get my letter of support. You barely could get an access alley and people are mad. You, you would be surprised at people who email me 200 times talking about I want an alley access letter. Sir, I don't know you. You need to come in the office. I need to meet you. I need to know why you want access to this damn alley. <laughs> like, come, you come talk to me. And so that's not how things have historically happened. It's usually you go to the older person. You slide them a few dollars, yep, I said it. So what y'all talk about is true. I'm writing a book, don't worry. And you get what you want. That's not how it goes in the 20th. I am not, I'm Alderwoman Taylor because the people went out and voted for me. And I respect that I work for you all. Now, I got two rules. Good morning is after 10 a.m. and don't call me after 10 p.m. when it comes to my cell phone. But we are supposed to work for the people and so the people should make those decisions to decide. And so community, and when it comes to poverty, making a living wage. You know how expensive Chicago is? Minimum wage should be $20 an hour. Really 25 in a perfect world. I'm sorry. I'm ready to go to them four day week work weeks. Anybody been hearing about that? Raise your hand if you're ready to go. Cause I need some time off, I'm tired. I'm, I'm working my ass off and nobody sees it. We gotta get to a place where we pay people what they're worth. It's why the businesses are closing. It's why people don't wanna work. It's why nobody, when you go in these restaurants, you can only sit in one section. Cause people are tired of dealing with that shit. And we've been bailing out the corporations. That's why it just pisses me off that whole paycheck left and all these other people that want to leave. Y'all left after we saved y'all ass. Remember, if it wasn't for this COVID and us, y'all wouldn't have nothing. But you got what you wanted and now you're leaving our community. Good luck, fuck. Chuck, don't fucking come back is where I am with these folks. And we need to build our own. We depend on too much of big box and people outside of Chicago. We are bringing people. We can build our own shit. We can run our own grocery stores. We can create because that's what we do. And we need to stick with that. I, I honestly want an ordinance that says, if you are not born and raised here, you should not be the mayor. Wait, born and raised? Born and raised. You heard exactly. <laughs> Chicago is so, a city of neighborhoods that you, and that's no disrespect from the people. Listen, one of my good wait. friends is Erica Blandura City. Yeah. She is second in charge at SEIU. She was born in Ohio. Cincinnati. She, right, absolutely. She was born in Ohio, but she's been in Chicago for the last 15 years to learn. To And she doesn't come with this, I know Chicago. We got people who come in, I know, no the hell you don't. I'm going Canaryville at a certain time. I'll wait. We still can't do that, but we, that's another you realize the last, we got it, the last we got two mayors would not <laughs> have been mayors. Mm, we know. <laughs> and look what happened. All right, we got to wrap this up and let you all go. Uh, we have a space till nine, so if you guys want to get one more drink, please do stay and mingle. But we're going to wrap things up. Tell your friends who missed out that the show will be on the Benny J Show podcast feed in the next week or so. Uh, please follow First Underscore Tuesdays on Instagram. We're also First Tuesdays with Maya and Ben on Facebook. Thank you so much to The Promontory for hosting us. Let's hear it for The Promontory. And for our guests, Maria Haddon and Jeanette Taylor. And uh, please stay tuned 
pay attention to our social media about our future shows. Ben and I are having a big planning and development meeting this week about how the rest of 2023 will look like. We want to get you a show with Brandon Johnson. We want to get you a show. We now want to get you a show in a park or other place that young people can come, duly noted. Um, and yeah, and uh, we hopefully will see you again at the promontory, but also we want to discuss plans about getting the show on the road and more around the city as well, um, make it a little more accessible to different parts of town. So thank you all for coming out to Hyde Park tonight. <laughs>